0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, which means it's been another busy day here in the nation's capital, both regarding the Washington football team as well as a lot of NFL news. I have tried to record this podcast 16 different times, it feels like, this morning, and something has continued to come up. So I'm going to try to jam this out now because I want to get out. This episode, to everyone, it's a really fun one, I think, for sure. Hope everybody, though, is is doing well. It is freezing out in the DMV. Um, Not not a fan of waking up to temperatures around 18 degrees. I don't cover the Green Bay Packers for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, In any event... Uh, a lot to get to here today. I'm going to drop some items from my notebook here, I guess you could say, um, in a few moments, just sort of catching everybody up to date on what's going on here with the Washington football team and how a lot of the news around the league right now, you know, connects to it, connects to Washington, at least in some tangential ways. In addition to that, I had a conversation this week with my colleague at the Athletic, Nick Kosmider, who covers the Denver Broncos, a team that was in the news today. Um, but I specifically sought out Nick because I think Washington and Denver are two of the four teams, I would say, who really, I don't think anybody has an idea of what they're going to do at quarterback. So I wanted to get Nick's take on how the the QB market looks from his perspective, how we both view the the various options, both in the veteran market as well as the draft. So a, a fun conversation there and good perspective from Nick on what this uh, quarterback offseason is looking like. And then you guys know that I do like to veer off into topics beyond the, the football team at times. And one that is, intrigues me is what's going on with the Maryland basketball program. Um, one of our college basketball insiders at The Athletic, Brendan Quinn, wrote a deep dive into just that topic what is going on I thought it was really good uh really good details and perspective on all angles not just from those who think Maryland's a top 20 program and how dare anybody thinks they can't get whatever coach they want to the other side that says well do they act like a top 20 program are they actually putting in all the resources to do that where's the you know is the mindset of certain parts of the fan base and um, and others around the program kind of diluted into into thinking uh some version of reality that doesn't exist Um, and what does this all mean for a coaching hire so a really fun conversation we'll get to all that after the football talk here on the standard room only podcast which of course you can find on itunes spotify the athletic app or anywhere else you do your podcasting Uh, of course make sure to check out my work up on the athletic if you missed earlier in the week i wrote about um Jimmy Garoppolo, Mitch Trubisky, and why for the people who are dead set in Washington upgrading their quarterback situation, understand that may be the list. That may be the top of the list, I should say, Um, unless things uh, change and nobody is sort of envisioning right now. So check that out as well. And by the way, on the podcast, uh, if you missed it, I talked last week to Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy about the pre-draft event which is going to happen next week in mobile alabama i'm scheduled to go um and so we'll, we'll see how we'll see what happens there but there is a lot going on here in these parts as well so plenty to get into uh and speaking of which just today part of the reason why i was delayed was that um as we know february 2nd is when the washington football team will be announcing its new team name uh and today came news that uh, the Oversight Committee—that's that's a Congress, you know—that's Congress, you know, how, you know how that goes—that Congress will uh, will hold quote a roundtable with former Washington football team employees on rampant workplace misconduct, sexual harassment on, and that's on February third, the day after. The announcement. So, um, right as Washington is getting some positive news, some reminder of 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 the ongoing look into the organizational culture remains. And these, it's not a hearing. It looks like a roundtable, some sort, basically a discussion. They're inviting, as as it said, former employees there. It apparently will be a live stream on YouTube on that day. So, that is something else that's now in the news. That we'll uh you know explore next week as we get closer, although you can read a little bit more about it over on the athletic today as well. Um, all right, let's let's get into some news around the league and how this connects to Washington. So, as I'm talking to you now, it's a little after 12 o'clock on Thursday. The we've got finally two of the nine coaching vacancies have been filled. The Denver Broncos are hiring Packers, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. The Bears are hiring Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, if I'm saying that right. Um, Those those reports came out this morning. And obviously, in a certain sense, neither one of those has anything to do with Washington. But the connection is that the entire league has been kind of jammed up, up at this point, both in terms of we talk about quarterback rumors, quarterback movement. You know, last year, Matthew Stafford was traded in January. Alex Smith traded in January in 2018. And there's been no real sign of anything going on there, Uh, both reports out there and and then talking to sources as well. Even after I wrote um, my story earlier in the week, nobody seems to believe that anything will be happening anytime soon. But part of that is that because these coaching situations remain open. When you have... You know, uh, you know, roughly a, th- a quarter of the league without that position filled. Plus, there's a few general manager spots open. How do, you know, teams don't know exactly what direction they want to head in or, you know, what what plans they have for people on their roster or who they might want to uh, go after and so on. And so this is kind of clogged up activity around the league. That's just when we even talk about quarterbacks. But now to sort of localize it a bit with regards to coaching staffs, right? We've obviously all been wondering what is going on with Washington's coaching staff. The, you know, I, 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 I certainly have discussed it a few times, the idea of teams don't generally bring back their same the, – the same – everybody back, I should say. And last year, effectively, Washington did. Um, and there's been some discussion about could there be some changes this year. We asked Jack Del Rio in a press conference at the end of the year – and he said pretty emphatically, "No, I'm, I'm going to be back." We asked Ron Rivera similar question, and he about everybody, and he said, effectively, he wasn't ready to discuss it at that point. Um, here's what my sense is right now. My sense is on th- as of Thursday afternoon that I think Washington plans to bring everybody back. Um, the The reason why I'm saying the plan is is that because all these other coaching situations are happening every time there's a new head coach hired he's gonna hire his own staff at that point it's possible people from all over the league could be on the move especially if people are getting promoted but in terms of washington's own desires my sense is they will be bringing back the group from last year uh chris harris the defensive backs coach was of course uh, interviewed for a coordinator position I- with Green Bay and Philadelphia last year. If a position coach has an opportunity to go there, then you know they're not, they cannot be blocked. The lateral moves are, are a bit of a different story. In any event, it appears from my sense right now is that the Washington intends on bringing everybody back. Uh, we'll see if that holds once the other staff start to make their own choices and look to possibly raid staffs from other teams. Um, so that's that there. Uh, what else can I tell you? Okay, let's get to some of the um, quarterback situation. I do, I talk a lot about this with regards with um, w- with Nick Kosmider, who, as he said in our interview, he's actually a little more focused on the coaching situation in Denver because they have one of the vacancies than the actual quarterback spot because, you know, the cart before the horse type deal. But now that Hackett has been hired, it's an obvious connection to say, hey, what about Aaron Rodgers? Those Rodgers to Denver rumors have been out there for months, and now it's only going to intensify since Hackett was Rodgers' offensive coordinator. They seem to have a really good relationship, I would say. If, you, if you're if you interested in Hackett or just in general for for a good story, you can go check out my friend Nikki Javala's story on the Washington Post. She interviewed Hackett over the uh, last offseason and spoke to Rodgers and others about it, and he seems like an interesting Guy And, you know, I, I would imagine Denver didn't solely hire him because of the Rodgers tie, but it would be it would be obvious to, you know, it's obvious to imagine that if Rodgers wants out that he would be eyeing um, a guy like Hackett, who apparently he's really vouched for, um, for other spots. So keep that in mind because of, but Rodgers to Denver, hypothetically, doesn't really maybe do much for the overall market because Denver doesn't have somebody there l- moving on from Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. I think similar to Washington here with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I just don't get the sense that that's a a reunion is likely. So the question would be then what happens? Green Bay, of course, has Jordan Love waiting in the wings. But the point would be if Rodgers is even remotely thinking about moving, um, then, you know, that gets interesting for some teams perhaps. But in order for Washington or any of the teams who need a quarterback to have a more interesting marketplace, it almost feels like something unexpected needs to happen, that it can't just be th- based on the conventional sense. You know, who's the free agents? What's this draft class look like? None of that seems to be very interesting right now. We've discussed how the draft class is not that appealing. Um, we'll get into more of that with Nick. And there's not a lot of great free agents. We'll also discuss more of that in, in in a few minutes. So just something to keep in mind on on that front. If, we, if, if you want Washington's chances to improve a lot about – Getting a quarterback, something needs to happen out there that we're not expecting. Um, Some of somebody needs to get loose, even if they don't come here. One move could potentially set off a chain reaction elsewhere. We'll, we'll see. I did have somebody tell me that there could be. Well, you know what? We'll leave it at that. I don't. I, I don't. No. People say a lot of things. I'll just. I'll. I'll leave it at that. I was not an intended tease. I'm just. Just gonna leave it at that. Uh, um, a couple of quick notes on Washington, um, I have talked before about how Washington is interested in bringing back JD McKissick. I don't think anything has changed on that front, but I have mentioned the idea that, Hey, doesn't Washington need to bring in another running back? And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to sort of double click on that point. Um, because obviously Antonio Gibson had, a, you know, he's a very interesting dynamic player. He has found the end zone a bunch. He looked great in that Giants game at the end and has had some other good moments over the last two years, of course. But there's also been a bunch of injuries and, you know, the fumbling I'm going to assume he'll he'll fix, but that's notable as well. But I think the key here is that if, in fact, Washington can only upgrade their quarterback position so much by, by, by you know, perhaps getting somebody who they would view as better than Taylor Heineke, but not somebody who is a true difference maker, then then what can you do to to help solve that problem? Like, how do you make that a better situation? Well, you look at a a team like San Francisco, right, with Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, they run the ball, and they are pretty creative in doing so. And I think for Washington, it seems to me, even if you bring back McKissick, and this is sort of a sense I've gotten in talking to some people as well, that it it would make sense for Washington to add another running back, somebody who can help out on early downs, thus in case Gibson is hurt, But also to honestly, maybe to feature the run even a bit more because of the fact that you are not going to want to rely on this, you know, midland tier quarterback to have to throw the ball 30 plus times a game. You have to throw the ball in the NFL. There's that's not a you, you can't hide that. But you don't have to necessarily feature. And that's something San Francisco has been good at. That's something Tennessee was good at. Obviously, Ryan Tannehill was a pretty much of a mess last week in the postseason against the Bengals. But they were the one seed, despite losing Derrick Henry for a chunk of the year. You know, even without Henry, they tried to stay with the ground game. Um, so something to keep an eye on there. I wouldn't say adding a running back is no, super high on Washington's to-do list. Uh, I wouldn't presume that, at least. But I do think it's something to keep an eye on for... Sure, and just one last thing on quarterbacks. Uh, it was mentioned in the New York Giants held a press conference. Was it Wednesday? Or was it was earlier this week. I think it was Wednesday, in which uh, one of the owners said that they were not involved, going to be involved in any Deshaun Watson conversation. Uh, obviously, that's notable just from the standpoint of to see another team who's potentially in the mix for a quarterback. Uh, you know, pull out now. They are backing Daniel Jones. They they were suggesting that um they've screwed it up every which way possible with regarding to their 2019 first round pick. And frankly, I think that's pretty easy to say. I know a lot of people kind of junk on Daniel Jones, but he obviously always looks good against Washington, and they've just really been in a bad spot. So I think that's notable. One is a team in the in the division, but also just you know. A reminder, I guess, that not everybody is going to just run gaga for, Daniel, for for Deshaun Watson. Now, again, the Giants are a team that has an option. Not necessarily the one that's amazing, but it's something. And Washington, you know, we can debate Taylor Heineke's status or not, and I'm not even junking on D- Taylor Heineke. He, the guy won seven games this year, and nobody, a lot of people don't even think he's worthy of being a starter. That says something either about his ability and, frankly, maybe Washington's season, um, but at the same time... What's the ceiling? That's why Washington wants to get a little bit better at that spot, or if not a lot of it, a lot better at that spot. Um, I I don't have a sense that Washington is ruling out Deshaun Watson. Um, I wouldn't say that. Obviously, we'll see what happens with his legal matters. That's first and foremost. And then what the NFL decides to do from there. Um, uh, So I'm not saying Washington would be, you know, all in on Watson. And he also has a no trade clause, which would, you know, presumably... um, Trump everything else, but we'll see what kind of leverage he has, even if he's available for NFL teams later on. But just something to keep in mind there as well. All right. Uh, I, by the way, uh, I had uh, before I get to my conversation here with with uh, with Nick, I just I forgot to mention at the top yesterday. I I, I had my Zoom call with a few different uh, listeners of this podcast. I had mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. People emailed me at bstandig at the athletic.com express interest i had a bunch of people um some got in on this one we'll have others down the line and you know i'd like to try to make it a, a little more of a consistent thing i enjoyed the conversation with everybody uh, appreciate the interest in that and if you are interested in, in future ones I, I don't have anything currently planned but you can hit me up bstandig at the athletic.com and i don't know maybe we'll we can always do other things instagram lives or i don't know there's always things to do. Always trying. It's also busy. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, by the way, for Wizards people, I'm not forgetting about this team. This team is nuts. That 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 35-point that disaster loss, the collapse the other night was off the charts insane. Uh, I don't have time to talk about it here. I did, though, do a deep dive with my friend Dan Feldman over on the NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I tweeted it out earlier. You can check that out if you're interested. All right, But well, let's do this. Let's get right now to my conversation with Nick Kosmider, uh, Denver Broncos insider for The Athletic, and then we'll get to my conversation with Brendan Quinn, our one of our college basketball analysts, talking about the Maryland basketball program. All that and more here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. As promised, we're about to get deeper into the quarterback situation this offseason, but not just solely from the perspective of the Washington football team. I wanted to bring in some others who are also in some version of QB hell, QB purgatory, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're, it, it we had grand plans of a, of a panel, but that's fine. That didn't happen. What we do have, though, is a fantastic guest. He covers the Denver Broncos for the Athletic. He is, like me, trying to figure out how on earth this team going to get a what's considered a viable quarterback next year he is Nick Kosmider and Nick I appreciate you taking time away from breaking down tape of uh whether whoever it is Deshaun Watson Aaron Rodgers Kenny Pickett uh Mitch Trubisky I don't know where your head's at but I appreciate the the the, the time how is life in uh, QB uh would you think of it as more hell or purgatory
1: yeah well let's hope purgatory right <laughs> uh but I am following uh, I'm following George Payton's lead the uh, the general manager for the Broncos who says uh, listen, we got to get the coach thing done first. We're going to get this all figured out uh, in terms of who's going to lead the Broncos after they fired Vic Fangio on January 9th. And so that's where my, my energy and focus and concentration has gone. There will be i uh, I'm guessing given the, the, my experience on this speech, there is going to always be plenty of time to write about quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I did a thing a couple of weeks ago saying, uh, writing about, you know, 20 different options that, that could end up quarterbacking the Broncos next year, because that's kind of how it goes for them. Right. They, you know, they're, they're, they have their plan A's, their plan B's, and um, somewhere near like plan G or H, uh, they they get their guy and roll into another season. So, uh, yeah, that, that to me is the definition of purgatory. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. So, um, I was thinking about this
0: before we started. Like, we could have had this exact same discussion last year. Yep. Uh, both Both teams were you know, uncertain whether we're going to do a quarterback. I'm not sure how involved you guys got in the Stafford situation, but Washington took big swings. um, You know, didn't get it settled for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I say settled. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was arguably the best thing you could get at that point, but it's also not, you know, a long-term solution and forget how it ended up that he played less than one half of one game. Uh, Denver had a similar situation. You end up with Teddy Bridgewater, who is in that line of, this is a, this is the definition of a bridge quarterback, but, a bridge to what? In both cases, a year later, you know, the teams were kind of around 500, but really didn't get too much traction. They neither one of them have a plan. Now that Denver's picking nine, Washington's pick, picking 11, when the draft isn't that exciting. And unless big names get sprung free, there's really no great options. It's like the same pool of, of free agents again. And this is why it's like, you know, I don't, you know, Groundhog Day or whatever you want to call it. And I guess what I'm kind of wondering is, You've got like you said, the coaching's going to come first for you guys, and that will determine a lot of variables what direction people want to go in, what kind of quarterback you might be looking for. but that said, the options are the options so w- whenever that's settled how le- what level of desperation do you think Denver is feeling at quarterback, both in terms of to get somebody and looking at the field of like
1: <laughs> yeah i mean doing? i i think the if it's if it's not desperation it's it's certainly urgency because while the Broncos don't have a championship level roster um, they do have a roster that is good enough to be in the playoffs um, you know even with with Teddy Bridgewater um, and then Drew Locke at quarterback this year the the Broncos were um, you know January 2nd uh, going to LA still having a chance to to get into the playoffs and 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 that was with again it would be charitable to call it average quarterback play throughout the year. And so that, that has been, that has continued to be sort of this, this great barrier that they've had ever since Peyton Manning retired. They, they go into every off season, um, you know, with these, with this list of options and they, they typically tend to end up at some kind of fallback option. You know, they, they would argue that in 2018, you know, Case Keenum was the guy that they, they wanted the whole time, but he, he wasn't obviously even the, the top free agent, um on the list he that that season the pre- previous season he had began it as a backup and so those are just sort of the kind of routes that they've gone but as you mentioned if, if it were as simple as going out and getting one of these guys that we see in the playoffs dropping jaws with every throw they make then every organization would be doing that it's it's just wild that this is a job that is you know one of the hardest there is in sports and it turns out there's not that many of them that are really really elite at it and so that leaves us again in this this sort of hamster wheel of, if you don't got one of these guys, you know, you you have to kind of keep continuing this never ending search. And, you know, the last point I'll put on it is that you you look at these guys that are, that are still in the playoffs or that were just in this playoffs the last weekend. And the bulk of them come within the top 10 of the draft, right? That that's where, that's where these guys get found. And that's the one thing the Broncos haven't done. They haven't, they haven't spent that, you know, that premium, premium draft capital on a guy and taken that roll of the dice. They had a chance to do it with Josh Allen in 2018. Um, again, they, they decided they were going to roll with Case Keenum. Um, and, and obviously that was a mistake. And, uh, they had a chance last year to to draft either Mac Jones or Justin Fields because those guys were both available at number nine yep. and uh, and they chose not to. And we'll see how that plays out, whether that that becomes um, a similar mistake. So at some point, especially when you continue to get into that area of the draft while still believing you have a pretty solid roster, you know, you just have to take that, that chance. And I'm not saying again, it's, it, it, it's not just go draft a guy and then you'll have one. Like we know that there's so much more to it than that, but, at a certain point, you do, I think, have to take that swing. So we'll see if that's this year. Um, George Payton has studied all those guys extensively, has seen them in person. Um, you know the Malik Willis's, the Matt Corral's, the Kenny Picketts, the Malik Willis's. He's seen them all, and so we'll see if it if it ends up that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's so interesting. You mentioned Denver last year, ninth pick. They end up taking Patrick Sertain, the cornerback out of Alabama, who was arguably the best cornerback in the draft, and. They took him over the opportunity. Justin Fields felt like the guy that maybe would be, you know, based on the the perception of of Fields and and Mac Jones. And I remember as somebody who likes to play around with mock drafts, like I constantly kept giving them a quarterback. But I remember at one point thinking, is there a world in which they decide, like, you know, I don't know where they were at on Drew Locke, but like, okay, we're going to roll Drew Locke one more time and take the cornerback because we've got to deal with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And this is the way traditionally you'd like combat Having these quarterbacks by getting by up by upgrading certain parts of your defense. Clearly, I guess on some level, that's what they chose to do. But watching the games this weekend, particularly the Kansas City Buffalo game, part of me is thinking, I don't think any of that, I don't know if any of that matters at any level. Buffalo had the number one defense in the league. I don't even know what that means relative to, say, back in the day when Eli Manning was going to the Super Bowl with the Giants. Who had a pretty good defense, not the Bears of 85, but a really good defense. I think that defense now would be viewed as the 85 Bears. Like uh, the gap is so strong be- because the rules go a certain way. The evolution yeah. of offenses and quarterbacks has gone a certain way that if you literally, I, the gap between the haves and the haves, not a quarterback to me has never felt a bigger than right now. Call it recency bias or whatever, but like I, it, even having a, an ordinary quarterback. Uh, a Kirk cousins, a, um, whatever, like that's not even close to being good enough, you know,
1: where the, where these guys are. And you, and you're right. And you, when you watch it, it's just sort of that it's, it's something that almost doesn't even have to be defined, you know, because you're, you're watching it happen and you're just, yeah, you're just saying these teams are doing what they're doing because they have one of those guys. (laughs) And, and that, that's just, that's what these playoffs have continued to show, you know, in the regular season, I, I think but the Broncos, as an example, you know, they won the Super Bowl in 2015 or uh, after the 2015 season with, uh, you know, an all time defense, right? That, that that 2015 defense with Chris Harris, Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware, uh, Aqib Tlaib, you know, just all, all these Shaq Barrett, all these guys who are just phenomenal defensive players. And, and it all came together under Wade Phillips, um, you know, and, and obviously you had Peyton Manning on the other end, but th- that was their formula And, and I think for too long, they've tried to think that they could replicate that right. Where, because that Peyton Manning year, he he was Peyton Manning, but he wasn't Peyton Manning, you know, in terms of his arm strength and all those other kind of things. And so you, you, I I don't know, to, to me, it's like, you saw that happen. You had success with that as an organization, but it's, it's wild just how quickly that, that is already an archaic almost kind of idea, right. That you could, you could purely win a game on defense. Now, I mean, the Rams are a perfect example too, that they have at, at what is at times a dominant defense. Um, but but they have not been able to kind of get to this upper echelon without the quarterback in place. And and that's what's sort of separated them uh, this year. And so I just think that like, it's it's wild to your point, just how quickly, because you talked about that gap being what it is. And I, and I agree, but just like the pace at which that has happened, um, that already something that happened in 2015 seems like, just an archaic yes. idea that you could win football games that way. Yeah, no. Wh- or wh- or meaning, meaningful football games.
0: Right, right. And even like some other games this playoffs, like, you know, Tennessee lost in large part because Ryan Tannehill, this was really not good. But their defense sacked Joe Burrow nine times, and they still lost the game. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that 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 should not be happening, again, the, 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 the quarterback. But that's also the thing, right? It feels like, okay, if you can't get the elite quarterback, and at any point on planet Earth, apparently there's only like 10 to 12 of these guys who maybe qualify? I'm not even saying do, maybe yeah. qualify. Um, but at least okay, well, if you have the defense, you have a running game, you can get by with a Tannehill, and then he goes out and has a game that he has. And I'm not trying to just pick on him. We'd be saying the same thing about Jimmy Garoppolo if the Niners don't uh their special team. Yeah, right, right, do 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 what they do. So that brings up then the point for the for our teams and other teams as well. What do you do? Like, what do you do this offseason? Like you guys. The Broncos have at least won a Super Bowl fairly recently, thus I'm sure the fan base is already. Yeah, that was yesterday. Let's what about now? But at least there's that. Washington has been irrelevant on that stage since it, it is. I think this week is the 30th anniversary of the last Super Bowl they won, and they have largely been off this off the contender stage, um, yeah. ever since. So okay, great. This is the off season is about hope, and this is where we want to give people hope. Here's the problem: I can't even honestly point to hope. And this is kind of why I wanted to have the conversation and get your perspective um, as somebody who's thinking about this in between your coaching thoughts. Um, I So I looked, I, I actually took the spreadsheet out and I put all the names on a paper. What teams have a quarterback be it the, you know, uh, until there's movement, I'm going to leave Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Until Tom Brady retires, he's staying there. I'm going, so the proven guys all the way down to the teams that drafted quarterbacks last year. So the, the the Jets are good with Zach Wilson. The Bears are good with, with Justin Fields. Whatever happens, we'll see. I think that takes about 20 teams off the board, get r- roughly. Um, then we have the teams that, like, have a guy that they could probably start and probably justify, but maybe they don't, like, including, like, the Eagles. Jalen Hurts is interesting, but they have three first-round picks, so maybe they could make a move. You know, Daniel Jones, um, the Lions. I, I don't know. Is Kirk Cousins staying? We'll see. The Dolphins, the Panthers, the Colts, the Texans—like, I'm not not Sean Watson, but they have Davis Mills. I maybe that's their plan, but they have they're also in the coaching search. And then you have the teams that I have I just wrote down: TBD, Washington, Denver, the Saints, and the Steelers. Um, I, I think of the four. Just like there's no, I, 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 I the plan here was to have uh, Catherine Terrell from who covers the Saints on with us. Literally the Sean Payton <laughs> out news happened three minutes. I mean, literally three minutes before we were going to start. So she's busy, but I was, I don't know if Taysom Hill is considered to be an answer or if they think Jameis Winston's a lock to return, but we'll just assume the answer is no to that. Yeah. Okay. So four teams have no answer and then another six are questionable. Normally you should have some, half of those teams should have a, a, a viable path. Well, you tell me where I'm missing here. Deshaun yeah. Watson. Okay, Deshaun Watson. I guess he's going to become available at some point, but obviously the legal issues there are, uh, I don't know if you went to law school. I did not. Um, th- those I issues. Did are, not. Oh. <laughs> so those issues are over my head. I'm imagining yeah. he gets traded this year, but that's only one team. So he's one guy. So that only takes care of one one team. Uh, do, do you think, by the way, like 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 uh, he, he's got a tra- no trade clause? Do you have any sense that Denver would be, potentially in play for him? Or is that like one of these questions until you have a coach who knows?
1: Well, I think the coach is a part of it, but I think the thing that makes just Sean Watson tricky for the Broncos is that um, that is a decision that an ownership group or an owner is going to have to be heavily involved in, right? Um, they're they're going to have to feel comfortable bringing him in after all, all that's said and done. And like you said, there's still a lot in, in that case to be, met it out. And so I think that um, that that's a deal where because the Broncos are most likely going to be sold at some point in this calendar year, um, but but that will almost certainly happen you know after free agency and all those kind of things um, that, that it's hard for me to imagine them being in that just because of, of what, you know, all that you would need to sort of account for, um, and, and having an owner do that. You want to, you want to make that move. And then an owner come in and say, I don't know, I, I do not want to kind of have this situation. Right. Um, so that, that to me would, if not eliminate them, make them an unlikely sort of suitor for Deshaun Watson, in, in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, so, Kind of back to your point that so that that takes care of that's one you know if if he gets let's just imagine he gets traded to to the dolphins for example that's that's one team that's kind of taking care of their their quarterback situation for the time being
0: right and just for my audience who's asking well ben what do you think could he come here i mean my take would be it's a different ownership issue obviously washington has this whole culture uh investigation that went on and a lot of people are not obviously happy with the way the NFL has handled it. There's still questions about what was in the actual report. And I don't know that the, I wonder if the NFL would actually even allow it to happen just from a perception standpoint, if nothing else, uh, whether Washington would be all in. I mean, uh, I think, I think the NFC is a lot more wide open than the AFC right now when it comes to the quarterback world. So I think if you could get to Sean Watson, that would be pretty interesting, but I think that would be overly complicated would be my assumption, but yeah. So he goes somewhere, Right. Then the next four that I have on this board. Uh, Again, we went through this last year. Jameis Winston, in some order, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, and Teddy Bridgewater, who you just had this year. Um, Ironically, you acquired him from Carolina when Marty Herney, who is now uh, an executive in the front office in Washington, signed him to a three year deal. So I guess you could sort of maybe say he'd be on the radar here, but it didn't exactly work out. And even if you sign him, Again, Teddy Bridgewater is a, you know, any one game, sure, I guess, but not a guy who's, you know, again, you have the experience. Yeah. He's not a guy who's taking you over the top. So that's the next four guys. Th- that's just your, we struck out, we got to get somebody. I can't, I know the the fan base here won't be excited about any of those guys. And I imagine you're being the same boat.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're, you're speaking. So, so that, that kind of, that you went on was just sort of the, the free agent type guys that we know are going to 100% be available. Yes. Yes. Thank yeah. You for, thank you for noting that. Well, yeah, no, I just wanted to, so, and that's, I mean, and that's really, that's it. Right. Because the big thing of this is, okay. Are Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers is Russell Wilson. Are those two guys going to, in some way be available on the trade market, right? Like those are, those are the elite guys uh, Rodgers, Wilson. And then again, with, with his, uh, legal situation to still be determined. Deshaun Watson would also be, um, you know, in in that category from a pure football perspective. And you could
0: put um, like Derek Carr in there. You could put Matt Ryan in. There. Yeah, that but like.
1: But to, to me, that would be the next tier down. It would, be, it would be Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, Jimmy uh, Jimmy, Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins. Um, those guys are going to be in that next tier. But again, I, it you don't you look at that and say even those are unlikely because again, if if those teams are are moving on, then what is the backup plan? <laughs> you know, then you, then you're all you're doing is putting yourself in this already crowded group of teams that is trying to just be good at the position. I mean, forget elite, because as we've talked about, um, there's only a couple of those guys out there right now. And then, um, you know, and and (laughs) I look at it here, looking at that spreadsheet, you, you had, uh, the Broncos are the TBD team with, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Derek Carr above the TBD. And it's just right. like, what else do you need to say about why the Broncos have finished last uh, in the AFC West two years in a row or, you know, what however many of the last six years that's been their spot uh, in the division. It's just you don't have that guy. That, that's what it is. So anyway, that's kind of, that. yeah, t- I guess that brings us to that part of the landscape.
0: Yeah, no, and I appreciate land that out. I, I was so excited to just get into my dopey spreadsheet here that I forgot to say. Yeah, the basic <laughs> premise is that like we're talking about it from the perspective of like what is realistic. Like I just wrote a story for the Athletic about and talked to some people around the league about Jimmy Garoppolo. Like everybody craps on Jimmy Garoppolo. He makes the bad choices. He also is now in the NFC Championship game two of the last three years. Yeah. How, for whatever the reason, he's been the quarterback. You get, give him that level of credit. And if I told Washington fans, hey. Washington is going to get Jimmy Garoppolo. Everybody be like, Oh really? That's not, I don't want that. Let alone being excited about Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. But to that end, this is it. I just named you everybody who would realistically be available as it stands today. We don't know. Rogers decides he wants out or whatever, but today that's the list because everybody else is your, your Andy Dalton's, your Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jacoby Brissett's Tyrod Taylor's. That's like the, the the the, uh, the the lesser version of the names I, I just said. Okay, now people are like, well, what about the draft? There's always salvation. There's always hope with the draft. Okay. Yep. Well, here's what I would say about that. Uh, I so like Dane Brugler, our insider. He had the first quarterback off the board go to Washington at eleven. Uh, I think Mel Kuyper the same. Not he had a different quarterback. He had uh, Brugler had Kenny Pickett. Kuyper had Malik Willis. But both the first quarterback at eleven. I've seen other mock drafts. I want to say Daniel Jeremiah and, and somebody else's too, had the first quarterback going nine to the Broncos. Here's how I interpret all that. If the first quarterback off the board is going nine or 11, nobody likes the quarterbacks. Like, at all. The, like, the last four years, the first pick in the entire draft was a quarterback. Uh, yeah. Since 24, uh, 15, the first pick in the draft has been a quarterback every year, but one when Trubisky went second the year after the year before that Blake Bortles went third 2013 EJ Manuel went 16 as the first QB quarterbacks are getting overdrafted if they're being picked nine or 11 it just because if they like them they'd be going third uh right. Car- right Carolina has the sixth pick uh the Lions the Texans the Giants all these could in theory take a guy who's a stud yep and this is why the quarterback thing some of these guys will probably work out, but the perception right now is, oh man, this is not salvation. This is just, we're going to take a dart and hope for the best.
1: Yeah. And, and then, so, <laughs> and if you're, and that's the, the other part of it too, is like, if you are drafting in that spot and, and you're picking one of those guys and it doesn't work out, um, it sets you way back. I mean, the Broncos had this, this issue when they, uh, drafted Pax and Lynch, right. And in, in the, the first draft after Peyton Manning retired. Um, you know, they, they took him late in the first round and it it was a, you know, it was kind of a forced, a forced pick. They, they knew they needed to develop somebody. Um, it was, it was after, you know, Brock Osweiler had spurned them in free agency in 2016, um, you know, which I don't think that ended up being a a really big loss for them, but you know, it, it, sort of, it sort of changed their thinking, right. That they had to go out and get a guy, had to draft a guy. And that, that draft just wasn't sufficient in terms of quarterback talent, especially You know, toward, I I think that was what the the Jared Goff and uh, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz year when they went one two in 2016. So, um, but after that, it it was just sort of barren in terms of quarterback talent, but they talked themselves into having to get one of those guys. So, uh, as, as much as you do have to take a chance, if you're doing it, if you're doing it just to take one, like at the back of the first round or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, th- then you're you're putting yourself in a situation where you're you're missing out on other ways to build your to build your roster. So it, that's just been the, the the fascinating part of this, like that you're talking about, is it's just it, it oftentimes does seem like you are you're sort of chasing your tail because the draft is hope, right? And and if you if you pair that quarterback and he's just you know happens to be this just sort of magic fit with the coaching staff that you have and there's just a symmetry there um you know perhaps it works out but it, it's it's hope like you said and um i i imagine that one of these quarterbacks throughout this process um will end up pushing himself up right he'll get drafted like fifth or sixth um you know because the teams will have talk themselves into it because that's how desperate they are to get that guy or one of
0: our teams well like we struck out in free agency they ended up going getting the mitch trubisky the the reaction from the fans is what it is. They, they, they say they don't want that to influence their opinions. It probably does. And season tickets mm-hmm. aren't going anywhere. Got to do something, you know, wh- can we talk, right. Can we talk ourselves into Kenny Pickett or whatever? Um, And then, yeah, possibly you end up, you know, even trading up to, to making, um, to making that move. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. Uh I, like I, Part of me wonders with this draft, like there's basically like six quarterbacks in the draft that are like considered to be interesting. All of them are probably the gap. It doesn't seem like it's that large between them. And I almost kind of wonder if you're better off taking the whoever is the, the, the guy that falls in the round two, if that's the way to go. I mean, Desmond Ritter and um the kid uh, Strong from Nevada. Uh, I want Carson to say. Strong. Carson Strong, right. Like yeah. they, they feel like maybe they're the back end guy. So like in my head, that's kind of where I would be looking at. Ironically, last year I was advocating for Washington to take Davis Mills in the second round, but whatever, they didn't they didn't do it. And now they're in this uh predicament. And uh, it is it is wild. And by the way, like to, to the point. So this is where I think that you have the Broncos have an advantage over Washington. And that is if in fact a Rodgers or a Wilson or one of those guys gets sprung free, I'm guessing Derek Carr will not be going to Denver. But if one of those guys gets sprung free, Denver is a fairly attractive situation. You mentioned there's some ownership confusion, but that aside, a, a defense that finished I think what third in points allowed this year. You could look at the offensive weapons, and you know you have you know the two running backs that are pretty fun. You, you've got a couple of receivers, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, who are pretty good. Um, you know there's pieces there to you know to kind of maybe say to a guy like a Rogers, hey, I, this this is not a bad landing spot. And I know Rodgers had been linked to Denver for real or for nonsense reasons all this time. Of course, on the other hand, you'd have to look at it as, oh, crap, I'm going to go compete with Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and Herbert. That doesn't seem like a lot of fun. So that would be the downside for that. Um, what What's your sense like of if, in fact, one of those guys becomes available? I know, again, the coaching thing, like if, if it becomes available, do you think they're they're in a move heaven and earth situation to get that guy or because in the past they haven't been as aggressive I know different people involved, but like that they maybe wouldn't be all in to get one of those guys.
1: Well, um, Denver, one of Denver's uh, head coaching finalists for the job is Nathaniel Hackett, Rogers, uh, offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Um, and so I, I don't think it's overly conspiratorial to say that uh, maybe they I, look. I mean, he's he is uh, by all accounts. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that's you know risen up the ranks. He's he's a bright offensive mind. He has earned a head coaching opportunity. Uh, On his own merit. But I I think you'd be foolish to think that if Aaron Rodgers were to become in any way available, um, the Broncos would do, uh, they would heavily get involved in that action. Um, You you mentioned Matthew Stafford earlier. uh, You know, the Broncos were uh, pretty heavily involved in that pursuit last year. I think ultimately what George Baton decided that he needed to do was take his first year to really kind of take a thousand foot view of, of the organization, see how it operates, see what he really needed to do. Um, If he could then after that, you know, and especially after drafting two all rookie players and Sertan and Javante Williams and um, have another uh, handful of other guys in his first draft class that, that produced um, you know, to, to signing, you know, Justin Simmons to a contract extension that already looks like that's playing out well. Um, you know, to get really good draft capital by training, trading Von Miller, Um, you know, all all these things that he did really well. If he were to then follow that up in his, um, you know, second off season by delivering, um, you know, a quarterback answer, uh, then he would be, you know, he'd already be well on his way to that, that 10 year contract extension. Um, So, so long answer short, they, they, if, if, if Aaron Rodgers, does become available. The Broncos are going to do everything they can. And they have, they have the draft picks. They have 11 draft picks. They have five in the first 100 picks. <coughs> Excuse me. They have ample cap space. So if it required them to maybe take on a contract of green bays, um, you know, whatever the case might be that they're able to do that. Um, they, as you mentioned they, they have a number of young talented players on rookie deals who um, you know, the Packers might be interested in if they wanted to kind of go the picks and players route in a, in a trade for Rogers. So, um, they would have the ammunition to, to get it done. Um, To me, it's, but again, you you're waiting on a guy like Rogers to make that decision. That can't be how you base your entire quarterback strategy. Right.
0: Cause I mean, he could decide I'm gonna go post jeopardy or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're got you, you, you what do you, what do you do? And by the way, like, this is the other thing with regards to the draft, the, obviously the trade market comes first in theory, then free agency, the draft is way after the fact. So like, I, I think part of the thing with these teams is you gotta. How how do you know what what you're doing here? Uh, You gotta like deal with the veteran stuff first. So the draft is on some level, I think, almost an afterthought, especially when it's not that exciting.
1: Yeah, Um, and and I've always thought those two those things. It should be like the NBA, right? Like the draft should come before free agency. Um, You know, because you you get that chance to kind of see whether you you know. I I don't. I just think that would be like a, a better a more efficient way of like team building if you had the the draft before free agency. But I, I guess either way, you're kind of, yeah, you're, you're seeing which, which holes you have to fill in, in either case. Um, but it, it does make it interesting from the quarterback perspective, for sure.
0: Last two questions for you. Have you heard of, I mean, just pure speculation or if you've heard something, if you have any gut feeling that something that we haven't mentioned could come free, uh, you know, like I don't know how much the Stafford buzz of getting traded was happening early in January but like at some point the the trade rumors like okay he's on the market and then it became free any guess that something else could be become available and thus giving these desperate
1: teams more hope I I think I think the two the two quarterbacks in this sort of like pretty good tier that I that I'm pretty sure or or have a pretty good chance of, of shaking loose from the teams they're on is is Garoppolo, of course, uh, just because they, they moved so much to get Trey Lance and, and to have him be their guy, uh, but also Kirk Cousins. I, I think that with with Minnesota, a new head coach and a new GM coming um, with them facing the cap difficulties that they are, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Denver potentially take a shot at a guy like that, uh, especially when you consider that uh, George Payton obviously was in the building with Kirk Cousins for for a long time. Um you know, I think fans here would be kind of the same thing where you say, you know, Kirk Cousins, you look at it, he's got, he's got big stats, but not a lot of, you know, not a lot of meaningful wins uh, in Minnesota. Um, I, I think there'd be a little bit of the roll of the eyes of like, okay, is is he just trying to rebuild what they did with the Vikings? Um, so, but, but there, there's certainly other teams too, that could be, I think, interested in him if. You know, if, if Winston's recovery isn't coming along the way that the Saints wanted to, maybe maybe that's a guy that they look at. Maybe Pittsburgh uh, is a team that you know doesn't want to go through some lengthy rebuild with with a veteran coach and say, hey, let's let's get you know let's get Kirk Cousins. Of course, they have a lot of cap issues as well. But um, those those are the two guys that I think um, you know. I ultimately don't think Derek Carr is going anywhere. Uh, I think they'll I think they'll sign him to an extension this offseason. Um, so that, yeah, th- those that's of my hunch and i ultimately i put this on the record before I, I do not think that russell wilson or Aaron rogers gets traded this offseason um i i think rogers would um i ultimately think that if he's not going to come back to green bay i uh, look i mean it's possible we know i mean joe montana tom brady uh, guys if legendary quarterbacks have finished their careers elsewhere uh but it's just the sense that i get that um that they're going to find a way to make it work for him in green bay and and he'll he'll finish his career there
0: yeah, I agree. I mean, I think right if you had asked me right before they lost, I would have said, yeah, he's definitely going to stay. Now it feels like a little more uncertain. But again, you're going to leave the NFC for the AFC. That doesn't seem like a great move. And then if you stay in the NFC, like what team are you going to that gives you a better chance to be a contender than the one you're currently on? He, he mentioned he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. I mean, I would think if Green Bay is intent on keeping Aaron Rodgers, it won't be him and a bunch of kids. It'll be yes. as many of the core pieces. Um as uh, possible, I'll just say from the wild card perspective, I, I think you hit it right on the players. I guess I kind of wonder about those teams that are in the non-TBD category. Like the Colts have been, like I think, sort of famously under Chris boward unwilling to to make to spend in free agency. Or whatever they have made some splashy trades, and I gotta imagine they look at their team like, boy, we're pretty good, but that quarterback thing was really a problem. And if one of these guys gets sprung free, you know that could be an interesting team. Um, consider, right, that division is fairly wide open, even if the Titans are the one seed, because they don't have a great quarterback. So, you know, I wonder if they've hit a level of desperation. And then you have, again, the Eagles with a bunch of picks, the Dolphins, um, you know, may, maybe they make a make a move as well. It's going to be interesting. I think uh, it, it, whoever is available, whether it's the high end is Garoppolo or what's the big name, that, that person's going to feel like the bell of the ball because everybody is going to want um, want them. Um, just lastly, prediction. I was asked on the radio the other day. Right now, they they claim they're not going to hold me to this, but we'll see. Uh, right now, if I had to predict Washington's depth chart at quarterback for this year, what would it be? And I was like, oh boy. Uh, I went with Mitch Trubisky only because look, he did have a winning record with the Bears. You know, he he made the playoffs a couple of times, and he spent the last year in Buffalo. Buffalo is run by all former Carolina people around Rivera. Is close to them, he. I assume he'll they'll if they give him a good review, that he'll like that. Trubisky, Taylor Heineke he sticks around, he's got one year to deal left And then you know, they spend the 13th, the 11th, uh, the 11th pick on um, uh, pick your quarterback Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. That's my guess. I don't know what, what, what
1: about you? If you, if I gotta, if I gotta pin you now, you, yeah. you can if you
0: want, I won't through it.
1: That's <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's tough. I, I think if, if I have to guess. Right now, I think that I think that either Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins will be the quarterback for the Broncos uh, next year. And and the reason I say that is because I think that what what the Broncos will look at the roster and say, hey, if we have sort of that above average quarterback um, with this roster that we have, what we can do with that is take another year to, uh, of George Payton his draft document, get some more really good players in here, uh, build something sort of similar to what San Francisco has, right. Of of Garoppolo is is certainly good enough for a team like that, that has, that has a couple of really really uh, great skill players that, uh, and, and the Broncos have some of these similarities, right. They have, um, you know, Javante Williams in that Elijah, Elijah Mitchell role. They have, um, you know, they don't quite have a Debo Samuel, but they have a couple of talented wide receivers, um, you know, that they, they need, they need better production on the offensive line, but they have some of those, standout defensive guys as well so you can kind of see that blueprint where you say okay let's let's do that let's get him and then continue to build that roster and then nothing would preclude us um you know next year from from kind of trying to take that shot again uh it's just that's how the broncos have gone they've gone sort of the stopgap route and and to me a garoppolo or cousins would be an upgrade from from the other routes that they've gone which is you know case keenum joe flacco teddy bridgewater that would be a kind of a slight improvement. And you would say that, Hey, we should be able to compete uh, for a playoff spot. But the wild thing about getting either cousins or Garoppolo is you still are probably the fourth best quarterback situation in the AFC West. So that's the uphill battle they face, right? Like, you know, the different, maybe perhaps that's the one thing Washington has going for it is that um, is that you're playing in a division in which, you know, Taylor Heineke is, is, is keeping them in it in terms of giving them a chance um, you know, in, in, in the, in the division in particular, and then in the conference at large. So um, that the the Broncos don't have that luxury in the AFC West. So, but, but they have to get closer. They have to close that gap a little bit. The, the, the gap from, you know, the drew lock, Teddy Bridgewater to the, the car, Herbert Mahomes is just, it's just too big. And, and so the Broncos have to, at the very least reduce that gap.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's a scary, it's a scary world out there. If you need a quarterback, <laughs> as we
1: know. Uh, yeah, I'm we- sure we'll be back here talking about it, uh, you know, January 25th, 2023.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'd <laughs> love to give people hope. I'd love to, like, yeah. I just try to keep it honest. Like, I don't want to be like, ah, eh, the draft out uh, of the, you know, oh, you, this guy's good. No, I don't know. No, I can't. I, li- I literally can't figure out the path that makes me tell somebody, yeah, no, this is a fun one. I don't know if it'll work out, but, like, you can get excited. I can't even go down that route unless one of these veterans gets sprung free, and then even then, a lot of the other teams – are going to be as desperate as the ones we're talking about. Um, go follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Cosmiter. That's with a K. Uh, go read his stuff on The Athletic. He's got a coaching search. He's got a, a resolve. Would you would you like to make a guess on that? Oh, gosh. Feels like Dan um, Quinn,
1: right? I, I feel like well, Dan Quinn is the... It feels like it, Dan Quinn, certainly, but I, I do think it's interesting that, um, you know, the Broncos brought Nathaniel Hackett in first. Uh, Dan Quinn had an interview on Monday with the Giants. That was the fifth team that he's interviewed with and uh, from what I understand, he has a second interview with the Bears scheduled for this week as well. Um, you know, De- Denver, I, I believe, still plans to bring Dan Quinn in this week, uh, but we're just going to kind of have to see how that unfolds. Um, I, I, think, I think he and Nathaniel Hackett at this point are probably uh, neck and neck in terms of front runners for that job.
0: It's interesting, right? I would have thought maybe Dan Quinn says, let me hang out in Dallas one more year and see if McCarthy gets dumped. But now that Sean Payton is out and everybody's now associating Sean Payton as he's going to sit out a year do whatever goes to Dallas. Does that change Dan Quinn's thinking if in fact that's even the, 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 the thought, because at some point you got to get back on the train. You, you know, you, you're not the hot guy forever. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. is right now. Uh, well, good luck with that. I'm glad at least I don't have to deal with that uh, this off season. So best of luck and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, Ben. Thanks a lot. All right. Uh, we're gonna deviate away from the Washington football team for a minute, but we'll, we'll, don't don't worry. There's plenty more to discuss. <laughs> but we've got to discuss another topic that for me I find super interesting. And that is what is gonna what is going on with the Maryland men's basketball program, not in terms of this season. This season I think we're all kind of looking at as a bridge to somewhere. Uh the question is where is it going? But it's also a question of how did Maryland get here? And my guest today to discuss this, really, this is really a really a great deep dive into everything that's been going on with Maryland not just lately but you know the step's in front of Mark Turgeon the Mark Turgeon era and the perception and the contradictions that this program has he is one of our college basketball insiders Brendan Quinn and Brendan I appreciate it are you officially like a Big 10 insider for us I mean you cover primarily the Michigan school is that even <laughs> a, is that a thing is that how you got all on uh, Maryland
2: assignment I wouldn't call myself an insider on anything I know very little so The, uh, I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I've done stories on Tennessee on Memphis this year. Um, so yeah, I do some national stuff, but I'm based in Michigan. So, and I've spent since 2013 covering Michigan and Michigan state. So, you know, I, I very much am comfortable in the big 10 and that's kind of a wheelhouse. Um, but I'm, I'm lucky to have some latitude to go do different things that, that interest me. And then, Once the Final Four ends, I go and cover golf, and then I come back in the fall and then go back to college basketball. So it's a great gig. I got everyone conned uh, (laughs) nicely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, look, you're doing a good job, and I'll be honest. Like when I first saw the that you had written a story, I mean, you're a very good writer, no matter whatever you want to self-deprecating you want to say. But my first thought was, oh boy, like here comes somebody from the outside. Mm Because I think one thing was frustrating for the Maryland fan base since the point detergent exited whatever we want to say what happened there yeah was that a lot of the national voices came down on the fan base how dare the fans Mm -hmm. question mark turgeon they don't know how lucky they had they're not appreciative of everything and i think for a lot of people that became uh over the top and frankly as somebody who grew up a maryland fan i i've been relatively checked out of the program i'm much more of a casual observer at this point but you know still have my tentacles out there and try to pay attention yeah I, i was like Oh boy, here, here's another national writer. Where is this going to go? And instead you did a great job. I thought you really did a a really good job looking at all the angles. You didn't just focus on what happened this season or even the Turgeon era, everything that kind of came before it. You spoke to Gary Williams. uh, You spoke to the AD, you spoke to other people. And I'm sure even people off the record who were important to this situation really gave a full focus of the whole deal. And I just told you, I talked to some friends who are, the the kind of crazy Maryland fans who are they're reasonable, but they still hang out in the message boards because sure. got to get their fill. A lot of that, <laughs> a lot yeah. of that, and so yeah, I think yeah. everybody was appreciative of the ones I spoke to were appreciative of the full focus that you gave it. Um, and that's why I was like, okay, let me reach out and see if we can if we can have a little bit of a conversation. Um, why did, did you? I'm just kind of curious. Like, did you pitch Maryland to do a story on this? Because mm-hmm. you clearly did a lot of work. This isn't just Right at that, give us a thousand words of what's the problem. You talked to a lot of people. Did you have an interest in this? And if so, what was, why?
2: Yeah. Um, so first off, to, to the preface you gave, I, I really think that I appreciate you saying that because it was something that um, I really tried to be mindful of. And I think part of it's because I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> As you guys know out there, the the natural inferiority complex that comes with uh folks from my city and like the dislike and distrust of outsiders. Um <laughs> I like I do I carry that with me. So like when I cover a program like Maryland that's super passionate, like I, I try to be as mindful as possible of of like addressing the fact that I'm an outsider. And, and and that's how I talk to people with like I don't know this program. Tell me, you know, I don't have assumptions. So tell me exactly what you think. I'm not going to ask a question that's based on an assumption because I don't no, I don't have that institutional knowledge. And I felt the same way when I wrote about Memphis this year, like Memphis being a super insular place that has like, it's very specific quirks. And if you go down there and you paint with broad, bro- with broad strokes, you will get destroyed by people. Right. And, and I kind of felt the same way about Maryland that it's fan base is, is very unique in its own way. So have certain, certain sensitivities to that. So, um, just to cover that base. Um, why was I interested? I've been, I've been interested by, about Maryland for a, a long time, like even going way back to when I was a kid, you know, I'm almost 40 now. So, um, like the Joe Smith team, like that was the jam when I was a kid. Like I, I bought, I remember I bought a, uh, a Maryland shooting shirt out of East Bay mm-hmm. when I was like in like seventh grade. And, uh, which like color? I think I wore that for like it was like the yellow it was the it was the red and black split down the middle by the uh, black and yellow checker. Okay, you know with the uh, with the Maryland emblem on the left chest, and it was sick. I think I wore it for some warm ups because I went to a school called Saint Mathias, uh, and so I was like, "M, it works." No one, will, and they eventually told me I couldn't wear it anymore. But anyway, um, so I thought Maryland was was pretty was pretty cool as a kid. And then covering the Big Ten for years, it is such an a awesome experience going to games there. Like, I always really look, look forward, A, because there's a Marriott on campus, which is spectacular. <laughs> B, because uh, just the, the environment is so different than every other place. Like, when Maryland's cooking, I think its student section and, like, game day atmosphere – is really only second. So like if you take every program at their best, when they're go, when they're the hottest, right. Right. I I would, I would only put Maryland behind Indiana in terms of like the vibe. And now that, that of course, Purdue and Michigan state are like awesome home court advantages and blah, blah, blah. But in terms of like a place just to see the experience, Maryland is, is up there for me. So, um, the fact that it's a basketball school and a football league interests me as a basketball writer. Um, the experiences I've had there, um, you know, and I be like being a East coast guy, you know, like I know people who have ties to Maryland. I had, there were some built in, um, context and built in sources. So, uh, that's why I dove into it. And, uh, it was a great experience learning about the place and, um, it became very apparent very early in the reporting that the place was, I, I think, was kind of misunderstood.
0: Yeah, and I and that's why, like, as somebody again who has thought about this a lot, I like the way you you know it's the outsider perspective. You know, you, you can't see the forest through the trees sometimes, and to bring the outsider perspective, and I thought you did a great job, even just in your headline. The headline quote: "There's just a disconnect. Maryland basketball, great expectations, and the stark reality of a program at a crossroad." I think so many of us have talked about this in one shape or form. And and I want to sort of start with sort of the Turgeon era in that Mm -hmm. at towards the end, it wasn't just at the very end, it was over the last couple of years. I mean, the, the, the constant conversation of when is Mark Turgeon going to get fired or something has been going on for a long time. And like the, the idea that his, when he got the extension a few years ago and, Mm -hmm. and, and to imagine how long it would be before that anybody thought he could realistically get out was just like I think crushing souls because the people who were against him really were against him. And the reasons why, and you touched on some of this, but for look, first of all, he's replacing Gary Williams, right? Regardless mm-hmm. of the Gary Williams, the the end was not as fruitful as it had been 10 years prior when they won the title. Nonetheless, he was a Maryland guy. He won a title. He was the, you know, he was the guy that had them competing against Duke and Carolina, um, you know, at a you know, when, when everybody was like, you know, Maryland isn't right there. Whatever he, you know, he he is the kind of coach that brought a lot of passion. You, you know, he had players who you know would run through a wall for him, and the fans, I think, as well. And then you brought in a guy who, you know, he wasn't the first choice that they wanted. You know, people wanted people like Sean Miller or what have you. They get this guy. He's an outsider. Okay, whatever. If you win, people will move past that quickly. Except mm-hmm. that, and and they won, relatively speaking. But they only essentially just he only made the what the one Sweet Sixteen performance but it wasn't even just that like the style of basketball honestly was kind of not that exciting it wasn't an tempo. i remember years ago covering a maryland georgetown game um georgetown didn't have a point guard essentially at that point and george maryland was losing and gary would not press where i would tell anybody covering georgetown no press them he like refused (laughs) and like he Mm -hmm. just he just had certain ways that just led to boring brand of basketball he maybe wasn't the most enthusiastic or the most energetic, excitable guy. He wasn't a Bruce Pearl salesman type who would, you know, forget p- uh, painting your chest and going into the crowd. Mm-hmm. Like, like just didn't get people riled up. He had like a weird scheduling. They never uh, they basically never did the Hawaii tournaments or did anything on that line. They did the basic stuff that they had to do. But other than that, they just kind of scheduled pretty pedestrian um, situations. And so much of that stuff really kind of lent itself to people not getting jazzed. But then I think the one thing that happened to him that screwed him also was the move to the Big Ten because people Mm -hmm. were so emotionally invested in the ACC. My hand is raised. I wish they had not left. I get financially why they did. But I I, I don't care. I I grew up hating NC State and Duke and Clemson. I don't know. There's no connection to Purdue and Iowa. Mm-hmm. I was not a never a person who did road trips, but you can't who's road tripping from Maryland to mm-hmm. Iowa. You could go to North Carolina and see a bunch of schools. So all these things, some of it was not his fault. Some of it wasn't his thing. What part of any of that, I guess, do, like, but this is where I think the Maryland fan base is getting annoyed when people, national writers are saying, eh, you guys don't appreciate what, what, what you have. Like, how do you sort of, you wrote about this great, but just in a you know, yeah, lots to digest. How do you sort of take all that stuff that was the pro and the cons of Turgeon and assess it to like how things are kind of you know kind of where they
2: are? Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it really boiled down to what you would see in in February, March. Uh, that's really what the job boils down to. When you have talented teams uh, and you're not winning games in in March, it's just gonna wear thin. Um when you have what I think are pretty fair expectations in terms of being a, you know, a team that's competing at a national level um, based on your recruiting advantages and things like that, you know, there needs to be a return on that. And it's not unfair to hold a program kind of accountable and hold a coach accountable. And I think some of the frustration from Maryland fans also stem from the fact that like other places don't wait. Other places don't give you. Three, four, five, eight years um, when you haven't really delivered, and I think like we're hearing right now, like Chris Mack might be out at Louisville now. But
0: wow, that's crazy.
2: That's like a, that's a couple years in, right? And it's just sorry, didn't get it done. Time to go, right? And like that's the reality in in this business, for better or worse. um So I feel like Maryland fans seeing you know other programs got to operate that way. Um, while being like, well, where are we going and what is this? But of, if there were a time, like I I probably defended Turge pretty decently early on because I, I long hold the philosophy of you don't fire a coach who goes to the NCAA tournament every year. Right. Because it's so hard to do and it's so easy to fall to the alternative and, and not get there and realize, uh, oh, wait, <laughs> Wait, wait! N- now we're irrelevant. We're not. We're not even in the tournament. Because if you get there every year, eventually the bracket falls the right way. The buzzer beater goes in. Things happen, and you you do get to a, a elite eight or a, to a final four or win the whole thing. You know, Loyola Chicago was not one of the four best teams in the country of the year. Went to the final four. Right. It's just things happen. So as long as you go every year, in theory, eventually. These things happen for you. The thing with Turge, though, is the recruiting dip in recent years where it wasn't quite pulling in the five stars, wasn't pulling in as many four stars. And that in combination with poor scheduling, it just lost its momentum, I think, the whole era. And when you're Recruiting dips and you're trying to fill holes with transfers, like that's not Maryland. That's not what Maryland's supposed to be. So these these last couple years, it was off the tracks for me, basically since that Big Ten championship share, which was a year they should have won it outright in the end of February, basically, and people were still pissed about that. Um, so it's like even like a high-water mark still came with this juxtaposition of, yeah, but <laughs> – so yeah. fair fair or not. That's the way it is, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean that's how I view Turge. I, I I don't think he's a bad coach. Um, certainly not a bad guy. Uh, and you know, he'll I thought it was the right play. You know, I, I don't think it's cool to walk away from your team, you know, mid season when these guys committed to play for you, but for him, that was the right play. Because this thing was not going to go the right way. Now you step away, no one talks about you anymore. And Maryland goes and does whatever it's going to do, and suddenly you're a half decent coaching candidate in in March, as opposed to going five and fifteen in the league. And what school wants to hire a coach who just went five and fifteen in his own league?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. You know that's funny because that, like I said, the 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 heated debate on both sides. The one side saying, "How do you get rid of him?" He, like you said, he goes to the tournament every year. Who do you think you're mm-hmm. going to get this better? And the other side saying it's not enough. It's not even a matter of the wins and the losses. It's just all these other components. It's just not exciting and he makes excuses or whatever the fan base is going to say. But like literally the day before he announced he was out, one of my friends who was very passionate on the who are you going to get that's better said to mm-hmm. me, eh, I'm kind of rethinking my opinion. And we had gone <laughs> you know drag out fight over the phone or whatever for years on this. And then literally the next day, it's funny how <laughs> like, I mean, it's obviously incredibly anecdotal, but like something sure. was in the air that obviously turgeon recognized so okay so that's that now the question is what happens now and part of and as mm-hmm. i said i think part of where turgeon got a little screwed was the move to the acc i think that just drained a lot of the emotion from fans who felt disconnected and you know what a, what a, why what are we doing here kind of thing but part of also you mentioned recruiting obviously assistants mm-hmm. play a big role in recruiting in order to, be- to get the best assistance you can, you got to pay them. It isn't just paying the coach, whatever his salary is. What's the rest of the money that's being put into the program. Um, I'd heard in previous, I don't know what, I don't remember if you had this in the story, so apologies, but mm-hmm. is Maryland paying their assistance enough relative to other schools? Is that a potential factor in what's going on here with recruiting that he hasn't been able to keep up? Um,
2: yeah. Then- from oh, go ahead. from my understand- Just on that point, from my understanding, it's like roughly middle of the pack and, also, I think it's a university thing at Maryland where you get paid biweekly. Um, a lot of places in the league, a lot of places nationally, you just get paid. You just get cut a check. You go do what you want. Um, it's not this – just because of the nature of the coaching profession. Sure. You know, like people move around so much. You do, you don't want to be getting paid biweekly. <laughs> you want to just get paid. Right. Uh, get your money, and, you, you know, you decide what you want to do with it. Um, so, yeah, that's th- – those are – those issues, that's not changing though. I think that I don't. I don't know enough about the university system for for me to say that for sure. But I I, I don't know if that changes. You could certainly pay people more though. Um, but that's it. Adds up quickly. You know, if, if you're getting a buyout and you're hiring and you're hiring a marquee coach, you're going to, have to pay them, You know, four plus a year, whatever it may be, and a staff that you know you're going to make a budget for. Say hypothetically in the one point five million range, when you get into also your administrative type folks and, and your auxiliary staff and all that it gets expensive real quick for a place that's had enough trouble trying to raise the 40 million for its basketball facility.
0: Right. And that, and that's the thing, right it's a, it's a domino effect because that going overly back in history. Basically they overspent over budgeted on their athletic department in various ways, including the build out of the football stadium that led to mm-hmm. a budget shortfall that led to the decision. Well, if we go to the big 10, we'll get more money. Okay. But now, we're making, there's more money coming in, but wait, we're still not doing all the things. And one thing you said, which blew my mind was that Maryland as best you could tell was one of three effectively, I guess, like BCS power, power conference schools, that doesn't have its own practice facility. And, you know, those are the types of details that can make a big difference when it comes to recruiting and, or, or just even getting your team as prepared as best as, as possible. And it goes to the point of it's that it, they can talk about, Again, uh, I believe Maryland's a top 20 program based on mm-hmm. just the recruiting alone, but the conference, the the building, the history, there's lots of reasons to think that. But if you don't act like it, if you don't put the resources into it, not having a practice facility, perhaps the, the not paying the assistance, and now we'll have this conversation about how much money are they going to spend on a new coach? From that perspective, what I thought that was pretty eye-opening the way about maybe Maryland, we think they're a top 20 program, but maybe they're not mm-hmm. actually
2: acting like one yeah I mean, facilities and resources, it just kind of goes hand in hand and and you can have a I'd put it this way. you can have great programs that can survive having good coaches still win. You know, ideally, you have a great coach and a great coach makes a great program. Um, but a place like Maryland, I just it was really one of those things. I just assumed that it just had all the stuff that I see at all these other places. you know, you go to Michigan everything looks like a million dollars at that place. You go up to Michigan state, everything is absolutely top of the line for, for their the specific programs, men's and women's basketball, you go in, it's all it's, it's specific, it's separate. Um, and, you know, right or not. Right. I know there's plenty of people who hear things like that and say, Oh, that's not necessary. You know, blah, blah, blah. I, I get that opinion, but the reality of the world says otherwise so you go to all these schools and these recruits go on these tours and see all these buildings and then you go to a place like maryland or a place like bc who also doesn't have one or a place like cal and these coaches have to say well we don't have that and here's our auxiliary gym that we can't use when the volleyball team has a game that just doesn't happen anywhere let alone I mean, anywhere at a, at a power conference level, right. Um, let alone at a place like Maryland, where it's a basketball school. It is a, it is a basketball school. Like, so the fact that it doesn't have it is, is, is pretty wild. And I don't, I, I, like, I can't stress that enough to some of the people, people that I've talked to like around Maryland, where like, that's their home where I'm like, this doesn't happen. It's not that way. Other, other place, go look at Nebraska which is like, you know, it's a, football, it's a football school in every possible way. And right. go look at their basketball practice facility and you be like, oh, my God, this is crazy, you know. So that's just the way of the world. And that I also feel like kind of leads to some of the misconception about when, when Turge stepped aside and all, every, every person who started framing the job, was oh man it's Maryland it's the best recruiting area in the country and it's a program that has everything you could need to go win well no it doesn't it doesn't right now so you know they got to get that they got to get that figured out and you know talking to Damon Evans I was kind of taking aback a little bit where um when he said you know 32 of the 40 million is raised for it now this is a building that was announced in October of 2019 that there still isn't a shovel in the ground right so when we were talking he said you know we're almost there. Uh, Thirty-two of the, of the forty million is raised, and I'm going to raise the next eight million by the ne- by the time this next coach is here. And I was sitting in the room that I'm in now, and I think I slid the desk chair back a couple inches when he said it. that because I'm that's that's a big thing to say. I'm going to raise eight million, <laughs> it, you know, in and like now for all and for all I know, he has them on paper already, right? I mean, if it's if it's Plank or, or somebody else or, or whoever who's already basically promised it and there's an announcement coming at some point that could very well be the case. But um, I I would actually think that might be the case because for an athletic director to put his name on a quote like that on the record, well, that would be an unnecessary risk unless you know exactly what's coming. And and Damon Evans is certainly smart enough uh, to, to probably not put himself in that position. But, you know, now the question becomes, okay, that means that's the money. So now you have to get into the construction timeline. While we're in the midst of a supply chain issue, these things don't just happen. You're not going to snap your fingers and suddenly have a state-of-the-art 30,000 square foot practice facility. It doesn't work that way. And as Marilyn knows from the football ordeal, all, all different costs come up, different this comes up, different that comes up. So is this thing realistically built in two years? Is it realistically built in three years? I don't know. But whoever's taking that job is walking into a place where the issue that we're talking about right now is still going to be an issue for his first two to three years. And you can only show diagrams and pictures on easels so much before you need something brick and mortar to actually show a kid.
0: <laughs> right. And, you know, you made the point in the story that they took Cole House, the venerable building, my favorite mm-hmm. gym. Ever to watch any game, it, yeah, I get it, it was outdated. I, I get it, but like, I, it kills I that me boy. that I
2: never saw a game there. Kills <laughs> me that I never saw a game
0: there. Yeah, great, great plays. Absolutely loved it. needed to go, mm-hmm. but the fact that like the basketball, the football program got the benefit of that space over the basketball program. Sort of to me, it shows like the lot. The like, I get it. Football runs college mm-hmm. athletics, yet. You got to know who you kind of are. They are a basketball school, as you pointed out. I'm not saying you don't help the football team, but it does feel like they've maybe let down the thing, this prized position they've had to a degree by not getting these uh, steps. Uh, In in the last couple of minutes, I have with you, let me just ask you about the coaching Mm -hmm. situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mark Turgeon, I got to know a little bit. I I covered his first year on the beat, and you know would see him around here and there. Always seemed like a pretty nice guy. Yeah, seemed like a a good guy. Not maybe the most charismatic person at a press conference or things like that. And there is some notion for some people I've talked to of like, that's kind of what they're going to need for this hire. And I guess my question to you is, do they need somebody like that? Because when you talk about certain coaching hires, some guy may be the best X's and O's, but are they going to get the fan base uh, going? And I guess, do you think that they need, not just somebody who obviously is going to do a good job with the basic coaches, does that person need to be a bit of a showman uh, to help get the fan base back considering where you see it is now?
2: Yeah, I struggle with this a lot. And it's because, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a Maryland guy. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up there and I don't have kind of the finger on the pulse of kind of the energy that the place needs, if, it, if that's the right word. Because from where I'm standing, like my perspective, do you ever see a Matt Painter in a press conference? Anyone, anyone ever care about Matt? Is Matt Painter revving up the crowd and running up and down the sidelines? No. I would take Matt painters coaching over pretty much anyone in the country though. I know he's never made a final four or whatever, but blah, 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 but uh, he's one of the best coaches in the country. I, I don't really buy into um, the, you need some kind of ringleader leader at, at, at the place. Um, and that's just me talking about anywhere. Sure. I just don't, I don't feel that way. Um, it's, And I also don't feel like you need to have ties to the DMV to be a really good recruiter. Good recruiters travel. Good recruiters can be good recruiters anywhere. And yeah, you get a guy or two on your staff who does have the AU contacts in the area and and can maybe even get you into, you know, Philly or something like that. That's, that's all well and good. Um, I think a good coach is a really good coach. Um, And these, some of the perceptions like Maryland needs to play fast. Okay, I hear that a lot. They got to play up and down basketball. Have you have you watched the Big Ten? (laughs) What like? Okay, I get I get it in theory that you want to play fast and that that's winning basketball at Maryland. Um, You don't see that in the Big Ten, so you better be really damn good at it because a guy like Fred Hoiberg has tried to spread things out and run up and down and play the way that he did at Iowa state. And that wanted the big 12 that has not translated to the big 10 at all. It's been a disaster, if anything. So go look at the tempo numbers out there and find me, you know, the, the successful um, big 10 teams that play fast. Um, it's going to take you a, a while. So, you know, maybe a guy like Bruce Pearl and, you know, that, Auburn's top ten in to the country in tempo and all that. Maybe he can get good enough guys to come to Maryland that they can play fast and just run circles around you know these slower teams in the Big Ten. Could be totally plausible. I don't know, but I'm just I'm saying the style that's desired versus the style that's needed in this league can be two different things.
0: All right, you mentioned Bruce Pearl, so the other question I'm getting is, can they take a coach with quote unquote baggage? That's relative to mm-hmm. it is. I personally. This is more my let's just go nuts theory. I'm calling up Patino. I'm working this out, Mm -hmm. but you get Patino, you know, you're going to be in final four contention in two years. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. But obviously Mm -hmm. there's a lot to that story. Bruce Pearl has his own stuff and there may be other coaches as well. Based on where you think Maryland is, what about the idea of taking a coach who has some type of baggage for lack of a better term?
2: Yeah. I personally, I'm with, (laughs) I, I'm the biggest fan of chaos and the most ridiculous options. Like let's go nuclear. I'm all in for, as a, as a guy who watches way too much big 10 basketball, hell yeah. Put Patino in college park, put Pearl in college park, go nuts. I want to watch that happen just to see what happens. (laughs) The administration there though, I, I, I don't. I think they're, they're. I. I wonder at least, and I don't know this, so I, I should tread lightly in how I word this. Like, I would imagine there's. There's probably a line, and I don't know how close you can get to. Like, man, Patino to me just feels like that might be a bridge too far with right. how that. With how that ended. Yeah. For sure, I, I, you're right. He would win. He would win, no doubt. I, I just don't know how plausible it is. And then it's like, okay, so now let's take like a step back. Pearl. Okay, you're talking about a guy who had what a three-year show cause after what happened at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know what's been going on at Auburn, but Auburn got pretty damn good, pretty damn fast. <laughs> I don't think it's—I don't think it was by you know asking people nicely uh, to come play ball. So, like, where's Pearl on the line? It's got to be close. How 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 would the Big Ten office feel about Bruce Pearl being hired in the Big Ten? You don't think that's a phone call that might get made? I don't think it's out of the question. Right. Okay. So yeah, like I think that's a real question of, of what, what is the level of baggage that can be taken. Like a name that I've thrown out there who I also think would walk in the door and win is Kelvin Sampson. Mm-hmm. And I know he's old, whatever. I don't he's certainly not someone who's going to come in and razz everyone up and get wild and be a ringleader, but he's going to get dudes. They're going to play a style, a brand of basketball that would win in the Big Ten. And he's as proven as anyone out there. So, like, his baggage, I don't think that's too much baggage at this point. You know, phone calls at Indiana, who cares? It was forever ago, and it's a different world now. I don't think that would be a a bridge too far. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm, that's one of the things I'm most fascinated to see play out. You know, is it going to be one of those guys that kind of would be the hot-button, hire where and in reality you hire one of those guys what happens you people kick up dirt for 24 hours and say oh i can't believe you know maryland's giving rick patino a second chance right like there would be a lot of that there would be a lot of noise for 48 hours and then no one would care anymore we've seen this happen a million times right <laughs> with a million guys it doesn't matter in the long run uh so i think it's something that really would just kind of come and go and you, you just put it up with it for 24 hours and then who cares? You got, you got a coach that, that you want. Um, is it going to be one of those guys or is it going to be that big pot of others? Andy Enfield, um, you know, Willard, Cooley, all these names you hear. Um, I, I don't know. Like Todd Golden's interesting, but is a, a West coast guy. Who's the coaching at San Francisco. It seems like a massive jump. They asked him to go to Maryland. Um, Andy Enfield, the West coast guy. I get that it's you know he's had success, but that's that's a big jump. Uh, Mark Pope, big Maryland, jump.
0: I think Maryland fans would like Enfield just because they would that would allow them to bring up Florida Gulf Coast beating Georgetown all the time. No, um,
2: <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut. All right, ah, okay. Well, I'm, I, down. Yeah, I'm is, <laughs> down. I'm down with the pettiness. No, no, no. I'm like I'm, I mean I'm a son of the Big Five. I'm all for uh, <laughs> the, the pettiness among schools.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating. I mean, my basic criteria is. You, I, you mentioned recruiting that you can recruit anywhere. The the WCAC, the conference with the Matha, like they have got to attack that. They let too, too many guys mm-hmm. get out of town. But I think a lot of guys want to leave town. Kevin Durant was a like a sort of a different deal. But like Kevin Durant didn't want to stay local for college. He didn't want to come back home for the pros. And some guys are just like that. And also like, you know, uh, College Park is like I've spent many nights at College Park. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But like it's not the most maybe relative to other places. It's not exotic. it's a, you know, a city school to a degree, you know, it's got the campus, but it's right there on route one and all that. So some guys want to get away. I get that. But like, I need, I, I, to me, somebody has got to be able to, to keep guys in town. Um, because that is what makes Maryland such an interesting job among other things is the fertile recruiting base. And, you know, I was at one time, um, right when I started the athletic in college park and Mm -hmm. somebody's the same coffee shop I'm in. And it was Juwan Howard. And, Mm uh, you know obviously uh, like he was Spire there by recruiting hunter Dickinson. i think i think that's exactly what he was doing yeah. and um you know not uh, you know yet you no know, you put up the fence whatever the thing is you know you got to do that whole thing um all right well I, 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 if you want to make a prediction of who they get i'm happy to hear it other than, i won't put you on the uh, seat though unless uh, uh unless i don't know.
2: have a prediction i'll tell you, I, I don't have a a prediction at all um i would go like i said i no one has mentioned Samson, and I, I, maybe it's completely out of left field, whatever. I, I think he'd win. Um, beyond that, uh, another name I don't hear a lot about, um, I would go after Wes Miller at Cincinnati. Okay. Now, he's only been there for one year. However, uh, his buyout was only $3 million. He's currently only making 1.2 a year. Um, He's in a bad league. Um, So I think he would potentially be gettable. I don't pretend to know Wes Miller at all. Um, But he's young. He's 38 years old. Uh, He's been a head coach for a while. He's taken teams to the NCAA tournament. He's now coached in the Midwest with a year at Cincinnati. He's an ACC guy who I think would get Maryland and would kind of get the the history and the road that the program has taken and the position that it finds itself in now at the Big Ten. Um, and he can coach. And he runs, uh, you know, moderate tempo, good defense, low turnovers. That would be his kind of resume if you look at the Ken Palm page. Sounds a lot like Big Ten ball to me. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I I would like more exciting basketball in the Big Ten. Don't get me wrong. But the reality of what's played in the league is kind of what he does. So um, I think that'd be worth a call. Um, I'd certainly kick the tires. I, I'm low key, very interested in Mark Pope. Um, I spent a couple of days with BYU uh, in Maui one year, writing a story about Chris Burgess, who's mm-hmm. an assistant coach there, and, uh, and got to watch Mark Pope operate. and was really, really impressed by him. And now, lo and behold, a few years later he has BYU rolling uh, pretty good and you know he's a guy that a lot plenty of Kentucky fans think that he could eventually be back there um but you know i think he has a high ceiling as a coach i know i don't know how much the fan base would care about that hiring or um, you know what what kind of energy he would bring or how he would recruit there i have no idea but just watching him operate i i think he's i think he's the real deal um so He's another one, but those are not a lot of the names that I've heard and I could be so far off base. But if someone were dumb enough to hire me as Maryland athletic director, that's what I would do. All
0: right. Well, I, I, I like it. I Who's mean, yours? Who do you want? Who do you want? I've I thrown all in on Patino. I mean, like I said, I get all that it's completely patino. unrealistic, probably on a take lot take of it levels. Out. Who, who
2: do you who do you go to next?
0: Um, My I. I, so I'll be like super honest, like I'm not watching enough college basketball day to day anymore to be like, mm-hmm. I watch this team and I feel good about it. I mostly watch Maryland and Georgetown and that's not been great. Um, but <laughs> that's, a, I,
2: that's, a, that's a rough sledding,
0: man. That's <laughs> why my college basketball experience, D, 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 like, yeah, the D.C. basketball experience yeah, lately yeah, yeah. has not been great. Um, but like, I just don't want like whoever is like the hot coach that gets to the sweet 16 from an underdog school. Not Not that guy. Maybe it's the right hire, but like I, I don't want it to just be that. They, the, it, the only good thing to some degree about this Turgeon situation is they've now had insane amount of time to be very open and, and and look at whatever. So, um, you know, I think some of the names you mentioned are good. I I do feel like they need to swing big, like, but this mm-hmm. is the question of how much money are they spending? Do they actually have the funds available to do what's necessary and not just spend on that coach, but all the other stuff? Because otherwise, maybe only get to you. To 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 a a point. So I think some of the names you said are pretty good. And and um...
2: I mean, like for folks out there, consider Pearl for a second, right? Who who's I think is certainly the fan favorite for the job. Which and I get it. I get it. Um, He's making four point two right now with a four million dollar buyout. He currently has Auburn ranked number one in the country. Auburn, which has a war chest of SEC money and more anything than you could imagine, right. And he's recruiting at a ridiculous level right now. So they all have zero problem bumping him from four to six and a half. If this year keeps going the way he already took him to one final four. Now he has him number one in the country. They would have no problem getting up to big, big numbers, six and a half, maybe even more. So to hire Bruce Pearl, you would need $4 million buyout. You would need to go higher then Auburn's willing to go, which would be a serious number. I'm thinking like eight, nine plus. I don't know what the hell the football coach is making at Auburn, but they probably be shy of that. Um, then your staff on top of it. And so he would be looking to bring his son, Stephen, and get him a significant raise. So now you're probably talking about a half million for one assistant alone. Right. plus two more who would be in probably the 400-plus area. You'd probably be looking at Illinois' um, uh, cash figures in terms of assistant staffing, which is at about a million and a half for just the three. That added up quickly, didn't it? Like, yeah. I, I think Pearl would be incredible higher for Maryland. I just don't really know how plausible that is.
0: And, and I think the good thing about a guy like that is, like when we, when we talked before about do you need a coach that's entertaining, essentially – uh, I don't know how it is up at the, at the schools you cover primarily here, mm-hmm. Maryland back in the day was a local school college basketball, right. though, in general now has become much more of a base alum situation. The, yes. uh, you can even just look at like a local media and how people cover it. It is not a destination right now, even though Maryland's like I said, been reasonably good under turgeon. It's just not been, mm-hmm. it's no longer thing. So in order to engage, not just the alum, but actually make it a, a a team that people in the area care about. I think that's where having an entertaining guy like a Bruce Pearl would make mm-hmm. a big deal, um, versus a more bookish type who might win. And winning is winning trumps all. But then that you have to win before it gets to. Um, to right. A certain point i'll mention just to, to give a name since i made you i mean kevin willard is somebody i would sort of pay mm-hmm. attention to because i in watching the big east i've always been impressed it feels like he doesn't have a ton to work with at seton hall right he's always been able to get that team consistently in the mix for big east titles and get them into the you know win a game or two in the tournament sometimes um i don't know if that's the sexiest hire or whatever but, yeah. but that that that's a guy that's you know maybe that's the the, the level below if they're not going to spend for the what you're talking
2: about. Sure. I mean, a a guy will. Yeah. Willard. He doesn't excite me overly for, for Maryland. I think, I think he's very good for seeing Hall. he's a very good coach and all that. I just don't, I don't see it. I, I I could be completely wrong, obviously, but I just don't see it. And I, and I get your point on the bookish guy. And I, I I might be a little swayed because of, of the experiences I've had, like 2000, you know, covering John B line at Michigan You know, the most bookish guy, the most clean cut, the most by the book, rule driven, process driven, old school, you know, slow it down, no turnovers, blah, blah, blah. They're, you know, at some point they're going to name the damn court after him or build a statue of him or put his name in the, you know, I mean, he is beloved and he came into you know, you want to talk about a place that, you know, that has the expectation to be juice, right? Michigan yeah. is the home of the Fab Five, man. Like Michigan yeah. basketball is supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be, you know, trendy. It's supposed to be the brand, blah, blah, blah. And they hire John Beeline, balding 55-year-old coach from West Virginia. And people were like, what the hell is this? You know, he's not the be- maybe the best coach in program history. Um, so it can work out if you find the right guy
0: it absolutely can well we'll see it'll be fascinating the speculation is almost as much fun as the actual basketball and we'll see it if is. Next i year. love it
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> uh, you can hire beeline he's out there he's
0: well i was gonna i was gonna he say, he's out it. there that that mod is out there if we want to stay in the big 10 world but um who knows uh I, Brendan and i just talked for an insane amount of time i appreciate it but even with oh, all good. that i'm telling you go read his article on The Athletic. Uh, a lot of information in there, a lot of deep dive. You talked, like I said, almost everybody you would possibly want to hear from on this. Go follow him on Twitter at BF Quinn. And obviously if you're into Maryland, you know, read his stuff regarding the big 10 and, and the Michigan schools as well. Brandon, I uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much.
2: Awesome. This is great, Ben. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, man.
0: All right. Thanks to everybody for checking out the podcast. Thanks to Nick Kosmider, Brendan Quinn, and uh, You know, as I said, the plan is to hopefully be at the Senior Bowl next week, but there's a name change announcement. There's now a congressional um, roundtable to be had regarding this team. It never is quiet in these parts, so we'll see how all that goes. But that is it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time, see ya.